Uh, Monday, the 8th of January, it's Summer Breakfast, otherwise known as Jaleesa's show here <laughs> on SEN. Uh, we're here for Bryden's Lawyers. Unable to work due to injury or illness, contact Bryden's Lawyers. Just catching up on the first hour of the news overnight, and there has been a lot of it. Matilda's captain, Sam Kerr, has unfortunately ruptured her ACL just six months out from the Olympics. Devastating news for the Matildas. They were on such a roll on the back of the Women's World Cup here in Australia. All the sellouts at every venue they go to, uh, and this means she will miss at least the remainder of the Women's Super League season, the UEFA Champions League, and Australia's two-legged Olympic qualifying playoffs in Melbourne next month. And you'd have to think six months away from an Olympics it's dire straits as far as her participating, Sam Kerr, in the Olympics for Australia. Uh, other big news around the place, and we will talk to Brett Phillips about this, uh, SEN's tennis expert very shortly, but Rafael Nadal out of the Australian Open, which is huge news for the tournament itself. Uh, and we'll, we might talk about Alex Dimonor's prospects on the back of that. Uh, other news around the place. There's NFL going on this morning. We've had FA Cup results. We've been talking about it all this morning. But what we didn't cover, Davey Warner's retirement, we did. Pat Cummins, the magnitude of this man's achievements, right? Like this this year, the World Test Championship, retaining the urn, winning a World Cup, Mm. and now a 3-0 clean sweep against Pakistan. Remember that time where they said bowlers couldn't captain test teams and that his, his performances are... No good. And just his own form as well. Like he's just, uh, yeah, amazing. And amazing always to think about where he came from, where he spent so many years out with injury and Mm. um, they, you know, just backed him and and for good reason. And yeah, fantastic. He's been the story other than David Warner, the story of the summer. Player of the series, Pat Cummins, taking 19 wickets, including three consecutive five-wicket hauls. At one point he was taking a wicket every 21 balls. He was playing under 12s this mm. summer against Pakistan. It was ridiculous. Amir Jamal, though, on Pakistan's side, I'm really keen to hear Damien Fleming's opinion, mm. but I think an absolute find of the summer. He mm. came in, uh, debuted in Perth, took six wickets there, ended up with 18 wickets just short of Pat Cummins, but also scored that massive 90 runs in the first innings for Pakistan. Mm. He seems like he is a long-term player that they've found out of nowhere, really. Yeah. I think Pakistan, you know, there was a lot leading into this. It's always funny. I feel like every year we lead into the cricket with, oh, no one's really excited about the cricket. Like there seems to be this like rhetoric around. And then once it starts, everyone's excited about the cricket. And Pakistan, maybe it happened a little bit more this summer with the touring teams that were coming out. But Pakistan put up a really good fight, I thought. And um, also the way that they, um, like the way Masood in particular handled himself and just he's such a classy person isn't he really well articulated whenever he spoke about the game and spoke about David Warner beautifully yeah yeah I couldn't agree more what about uh, one of the big issues during the SCG test uh, a clump of tape on the sight screen Mm. that was massive it it took over the SCG Mm. talk to me well uh, I just really liked that Steve Smith saw something got completely fixated on it, allowed it to derail everything else in his life and needed it fixed. That is very relatable to me. 
<laughs> Relatable king. Uh, you don't go off on tangents or get distracted, do you? <laughs> Not at all. But, <laughs> or get like completely fixated on one thing and go, I need to fix that before my life can carry on. <laughs> That's a very, like a bit of an OCD quality in myself. Yeah. Maybe Steve Smith as well. I loved it. Well, I, I must say about 15 minutes after that. So the groundsman, Michael, his name was, he went around, jumped up the sight screen. It was like he was on the surfboard going up and the crowd were so up and about for it that when he came back down, the game could resume. He was walking around the SCG, high-fiving the crowd, As getting roars. It was like he was in front of Bay 13 in Melbourne during the Boxing Day test. He was like a hero. That's his moment. <laughs> it was his moment. Good. He, he, I interviewed him on Seven and he had his sunnies on, his big M-frame sunnies, and it, he was just vibing. He's like, this is my moment, mate, and I'm getting texts left, right and centre. Did he put it there so he could have that moment? That's the next question. We need to delve into that. <laughs> that's an <laughs> investigation today. That's what, Maybe that's what I'll do today at work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, it's time. Of course, we've mentioned the news about Rafael Nadal. Who better to speak to than SEN's tennis expert, Brett Phillips? Mate, what massive news. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Trent. Good morning, team. Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's disappointing. But, yeah, I think uh, once that um, issue happened, you know, against uh, Jordan Thompson, obviously, you know, played an outstanding match and pushed uh, Rafa to the limits. Uh, in an epic uh, quarterfinal on Friday, and then listening to the Nadal impress and just seeing him have that medical timeout really late in the match, uh, we've sort of seen it, you know, a long, a, lo- a lot across his 20 odd year career. And yeah, look, this was going to be a, a real feel week. Um, you know, he he felt right to come back and compete, but he needed to get into some matches, to, I suppose, to feel. Um, just what that would be like for his body. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of uncertainty the last, you know, eight or nine months whether he was going to come back. You know, he only started hitting some balls again around August, September, and yeah, just a slight tweak. I mean, he's always had issues with that sort of hip area, the hip flexor, and uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to try and stretch yourself in a, in a Grand Slam uh, best of five. And if, if this is going to be the farewell year, which we think it is for Rafa then he's got to, uh, you know, somehow get it right to, you know, it's a long season, as we know, in tennis. It goes all the way through to November and you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, matches that he can still play, but he's got to be right. So, yeah, it could do further damage. So, yeah, disappointing uh, for the tournament and for Rafa himself. Uh, but, yeah, 37 years of age, that body is uh, certainly hanging by a thread. Brett, even if uh, he can come back, what do you think is the feel of his desire to do that? Like, it, he sort of... Spoke, I guess, last week about how hard it was just doing the everyday things when he was injured. Would he have a desire to go through any rehab to get back again? Well, he's done it. Yeah, he's done it so many times. I mean, he wants to finish his career on court, whatever that uh, looks like and wherever that will be. I mean, you know, is it a one last appearance at the French Open, which he's dominated, you know, the Paris Olympics? Um, I mean, you know, he hasn't totally shut the door on anything. He sort of strongly indicated that this is likely to be uh, the last year. He knows that, um, you know, he's pushed his body through so much. I mean, the fact that he's still competing now, we thought probably he was going to retire at, you know, 31, 32. He was, you know, banged up particularly with his knees. And, you know, each time he's found a way. I mean, he's just such a warrior uh, that, you know, he loves to compete and he, <laughs> you know, he doesn't want to just peter out of the sport. So, um, but, you know, he also wants to be able to compete to win, not just to make up the numbers. So, 
Yeah, look, I, we'll wait and see. I mean, it's not a total disaster. It's not like um, you know, this injury is going to set him back uh, 12 months, but he's got to manage it probably over the next you know, two to three and then just see where he, uh, where he lands. Yeah, it's an interesting one. M- moving on to the actual Australian Open itself, and uh, there are Aussie prospects. We've seen news that Alex Diminor has jumped into the top 10. How exciting ahead of our home tournament. Yeah, Trent, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I've been an unabashed fan of Alex uh, from day one, and I'm I'm glad maybe now the Australian public uh, is starting to really get around this young man who might not have believed that he could get into the top 10, but it's been just a beautiful incremental, um, you know, growth over the last three or four years. He had the rapid spike as a, what, you know, at 1920, where he went from outside 200 to about 30 in the world, and then it's just been gradual, gradual, gradual getting better. And, you know, I think, you know, he, the thing that's driving him is to prove the doubters wrong, who don't believe that he's got the weapons or the size to match these uh, bigger guys inside the top 10. But what he's got is his unbelievable competitiveness. And, you know, he can jump his opponents early. He can be in their, in their grill, so to speak. Uh, look, he brings so much skill, the, you know, the athleticism. And I think he's starting to really sort of beef up now the serve and the ground strikes to just make life a little easier so you're not grinding as much. So, look, there's no ceiling. Um, you know, yeah, the first Aussie since Leighton uh, back in, what, 2006 to make the top 10. And, you know, he loves playing at this time of the year. The Aussies get such a small window to play in front of their crowd and their support, and he's feeding off that right now. So, look, he's a hard worker. He's a good young guy um, who's, you know, just being himself and he expresses that uh, on court. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it is Hewitt, really, take two. Yeah. Um, whether he can emulate Leighton and win a, a slam or two, uh, <laughs> we'll have to well, wait and see. Brett, that was my call. I, I want to know, can he win the Australian Open? <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a there's a guy who's won it ten times who uh, is is in pretty good nick. Although, you know, he had the issue obviously over in Perth that Djokovic with the wrist. I, I don't know. I mean, that, I, I think that's more um, uh, that, that's manageable. Uh, he's managed, uh, you know, obviously injuries across uh, the journey. Look, it, it all comes down to draw and matchups too. I mean, the, the reality is where Alex is now, he should be around that sort of fourth round, um, at least fourth round quarterfinal sort of mark, and then it depends who you you're drawn up against. Um, but, you know, look, I, I think he won't die wondering, uh, that's for sure. I, I'm not about to declare he can win the Australian Open, but, you know, this is a year where he can genuinely climb into the top 10 and stay there. Because a lot of players climb in and they dip back out and um, we don't see them back. So, you know, I think once he's in, you know, the, the challenge will be to stay in the top 10 for the next two to three years. And, you know, he's still only, what is he, 25, I think, Alex. So he's not even really at his peak yet. But what about uh, on the women's side of things and particularly someone like Naomi Osaka, who just seems to have this completely fresh, when she was talking to the media the other day, this completely fresh take on life. Is she someone that uh, obviously we've seen a winner before? Could she do it again? Well, yeah, watching her two matches in Brisbane, I mean, she's lost none of the firepower, uh, which was the hallmark of her game. Uh, no one hit the ball harder than Naomi when she was at her peak, you know, won four majors in quick time. And, you know, I think it just, she just needed some matches. So, you know, she's come to Melbourne now, been practising the last uh, few days. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously motherhood gives you a, you know, a new sense of perspective. She has indicated that she wants to give more back to the fans. 
I mean, she's such an interesting personality on the tour. You know, she's got that shyness about her, um, doesn't necessarily enjoy doing all the media stuff. But, you know, I think we're going to see just a different type of character. She's looked, you know, if you, she's gone into bat for so many great causes around the world. So she's a deep thinker about life and everything. I mean, obviously, the, the, the top sports people always have that bit of intrigue about them, you know, as the outsider uh, looking in and, yeah, I think, you know, she's dangerous in the draw. You don't want to be probably going up against her. Is she going to be a wild card? She can just free swingly and uh, swing freely, I should say, and, and have a good time and just build build her way into the season. And who knows what she can achieve. Uh, all the mums coming back. I mean, Angie Kerber, you know, Caroline Wozniacki. Yeah, it's great for the sport uh, that these um, these ladies still want to play. They've still got the fire burning to uh, to win matches and tournaments. Brett, just on the United Cup, mate, Germany come out on top there. What did you make of it? Look, absolutely pulsating. I was watching to 1am uh, this morning. I, look, I think the concept has grown on me, uh, Trent. You know, this is yeah. the second edition. I don't know what this long-term future is, but you know, this is um, you know the great part about tennis, of bringing the men and the women together to play together in the same team. And you know, the, the tennis players love playing in uh, the team aspect of the sport, be it, you know, Davis Cup, Billy Jean King Cup, Labor Cup, United Cup, because they're on their own, um, you know, as their own entity throughout the year. It can be a lonely sport at times. They love being part of that team dynamic. And, yeah, the crowds were uh, terrific. Uh, the, the, uh, the tennis was absolutely pulsating, you know, often going down to the mixed doubles as a decider. And, yeah, Alexander Zverev, uh, you know, getting it done. He was the, the he-man, really, of Team Germany. And, going to be dangerous, obviously, in the singles inside the top 10. So a lot of talk about, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia injecting a lot of money into tennis in the next 12 months. They would love a tournament in January leading into the Australian Open. So what our summer looks like in 12 months is going to be fascinating because the Saudis are prepared to throw a lot of money at tennis uh, at the moment. But, yeah, big tick for the United Cup. It didn't quite grab me the first year, but year two across Perth and Sydney, yeah, I thought it was outstanding. Is it? Do you think that's a format that I'll stick with across the two cities? Like it is pretty unusual. Yeah, well, we had three obviously with uh, you know Brisbane the year before, and and rightly so. Brisbane got their own tournament back. I mean, the Brisbane International, what a success that was in the last week. You know, the Olympic City. There's going to be more money pumped into uh, the Queensland Tennis Centre. Uh, you know, great win for Rebuckner and Dimitrov. Uh, they've set themselves up for the Australian Open. So. It was a truncated version this year, and I I liked it. Uh, you know, Perth uh, obviously they had the Hopman Cup for thirty years. They you know they deserve to see some top flight tennis. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. There, they you know the summer of tennis has continued to shift and change the last uh, three or four years. It'd be nice to bed down a format for the uh, the long term. But yeah, I think across the two cities, it you know it, it worked really well. Brett, the Australian Open qualifiers begin today. I'm interested in your thoughts on every year this time of year, we, we have someone pop up in Australian colours that we've never heard of or at least the non-traditional tennis fans have never heard of. Who, who do you think it might be this year that makes some noise? Yeah, we've got 25 Aussies in the, the qualies. Uh, the weather's a bit ordinary in Melbourne this morning, so we might have a delayed uh, start. That wouldn't surprise anyone. A bit of rain in Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> yes, so get the heat off Sydney, young... will you? <laughs> yeah, I know. There's one boy. Um, his name's Pavle Marinkov. He's only 17. He actually played in Canberra in the last week. Uh, huge raps on this young kid. His uh, ranking is outside the top 1,000 uh, right now. So a junior uh, stepping into the pros, but he uh, he beat a player um, inside the top 200. So the margins can be really small, but 
uh, huge wraps on this young boy of what he might be able to do and how fast he might be able to progress. So just uh, Pablo. And there's a young girl too called Maya Joint uh, from um, Sydney. She's actually American-born, uh, has come now to settle in uh, Australia and only 17. Uh, she looks to be a rising star as well. So this is the benefit of having a home slam is a lot of our Aussies get wild cards into the qualifying. So, yeah, hopefully a few can uh, you know make the most of it. Brett, you're up until 1am. You're still with us on Summer Breakfast this morning, SEN's tennis expert. We can't wait for the summer of tennis. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Brett. No pleasure, team. We'll talk soon. Make it look easy with Sportsbet. Chances are you're about to lose. It's your Monday morning and there's so much sport going on around the world. We've just spoken to Brett Phillips about the Aussie Open. Now let's talk to Nick Ashman from Sportsbet. Hey, Nick, how you going, mate? I'm good, uh, Trent. Uh, good to be back on the air with you guys. I trust you had a good Christmas and a, a safe and happy New Year. Yeah, it's been good. It's been busy. Lots of cricket going on, that's for sure. But uh, talk to us about the Australian Open, mate. What have you got there? Well, we heard the news in the last 24 hours that Rafael Nadal's out. Uh, he was actually the big mover after he sort of won first up, if you like, to use a horse racing term, um, in the Brisbane uh, ATP. He... Um, he was a big firm. He was around $21, $15, and it was $9 by the time he announced yesterday, Trent, that uh, he was out of the Aussie Open. Of course, we've also seen uh, some good tennis from Aussie Alex Demonor, and he's now inside the top 10 for the first time. He's a $36 chance in the men's uh, Australian Open. Novak Djokovic is your favourite at $2.10. He did get into $1.91 last night, but he's just back out to two ten. Carlos Alcaraz, uh, the new kid on the block, if you like, $4.33. Yannick Sinner, well, I think, is in for a big 2024, $7.50. And uh, Holger Rune, uh, $23.00. Zavayev is $26. Those two clashed last night in the United Cup final uh, with Zavayev, the German, getting the better of him after being one set down. So uh, really interesting market. Uh, Djokovic, no surprise to see him favourite. Um, it's But Alcaraz, he's, uh, he's predicted to, to do some pretty big things in 2024. If you like the women's name, Osaka is a bit of a popular bet in the women's Australian Open. She's a $21 chance, Trent. So... Um, Maybe some value there for the uh, for the Japanese lady. And what about the Super Bowl? I want to know about the sports side of things, but also sometimes you've got these niche markets, and I won <laughs> a lot of money on betting that Rihanna was going to come out in red last year. So do you oh. have any of that? Yeah. So I, I want to know really? the so, niche markets as well. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm going to have to talk to you closer to the time. Those types of things um, come out sort of in the days or, or maybe a week or so leading up. At this point, we don't have anything. What I can give you is a very straight market and a boring one as well now. Uh, and that is the uh, San Francisco 49ers, your $3.25 favourite. Yes. Ahead of the Baltimore Ravens at 4 bucks. And then you're right out to the Buffalo Bills at $9. They've had some good support over the last week or so. They were sort of around the $14, $15 mark, but some good form seen then trim right up. Dallas Cowboys will play today at around $1.10 favourites at home and should get the job done there, nine fifty, And they share that line with the Kansas City Chiefs, who I think have won the past two. And then you're looking at the Eagles at 12 bucks and Miami Dolphin at $13. Who can forget laces out if you're an Ace Ventura fan? <laughs> we need to be tuned in, uh, Delisa, to the tea leaves on Gatorade colours, national mm. anthem length, who's singing it, all those sort of things. You've <laughs> yeah. got to watch the form. It's like racing. Oh, mm. <laughs> 
I will dig out. I will talk to the traders for you guys and see what I can uh, see what I can get for you there. And one final thing, Cairns today racing up there, uh, race two, number six, Ready Boss is around a twenty three dollar chance. Might be worth something small each way. Trent. Yeah, race two. <laughs> Jalisa's just taking no, this down. Num- number, number six. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Ready Ready Boss uh, ready trained boss. by Roy Jalemi is an outstanding trainer up that neck of the woods, and this galloper finds his pet conditions for the first time in a while. Brilliant. Thank you. Hey, just before we go, just quickly, I've just watched Armand Ra St. Brown score a 70 yard touchdown for the Lions. What are they paying for the Super Bowl? For the, for the Super Bowl, Detroit, $18 for you, Trent. Oh, I don't mind it. $18. As a smoky. I don't yeah. mind it. Mate, uh, thanks so there much for go. joining us this morning. Plenty of sport going on in the world. If you want to check it out, it's all there on Sportsbet. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Trent. Thank you, guys. Make it look easy with Sportsbet. Chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Thanks, Nathan. We're here for Bing Lee. Better living every day. And we're also powered by Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter. Shaping and building Australia together. If you're just waking up, there's a lot of sport happening. Sam Kerr's ruptured her ACL. This is devastating news just six months out from the Olympics. Chelsea has confirmed Kerr picked up the injury at a team training camp in Morocco. That is just upsetting for the also the Olympic qualifiers that are in Melbourne, like football Australia would be relying on uh, the momentum and the crowd numbers and everything that come from that. So really sad news uh, that overnight. More injury news. Rafael Nadal, he's withdrawn from the Australian Open. He's suffered an injury at the Brisbane International. He did put a statement on his Instagram and said that he had a micro tear. It isn't the same muscle or the exact same injury that he had before, but certainly at his age, not very good and coming back from such a long stint off as well. Um, we spoke with Brett Phillips earlier this hour about Nadal and other tennis news. Get that on the podcast if you missed it and you were having a little bit of a sleep in. I hope you were. Um, <laughs> and we've been discussing Australia's clean sweep of Pakistan and where David Warner ranks as Australia's cricketing and Australian cricketing great after his retirement from Red Bull Cricket on Saturday. Give us a call, 1300 01 1170. Um, and we're getting a lot of texts. Yeah. Through. The Edgewater Homes text line 0457 736 736. A lot about David Warner this morning. So tell us what you think. Is he a legend of the game? Is he Australia's greatest across three formats, as I was thinking? Uh, and and what have you made of his career? Uh, there's it, the first one that's come up here. There, there's a little bit missing on the end, but good morning, Jalissa and Trent. As much as the fairy tale ending for Davey hitting the winning runs, I'm glad he got out so he could walk off and get. I'm assuming the reception that he deserved may well have been the the finisher there. Uh, it could very much like have been different. You, you filled in like the crucial bit. You're like, I'm going to guess the crucial bit of this yeah. text. Well, well, it could either have been that or it could have been get the reception. So everyone get would tell him, what, yeah, <laughs> tell him what they thought. Uh, yeah. It's been interesting to watch though, because a lot of the texts that have been flowing in this morning, um, this one in particular from Tabman64. Let's be honest, it's harder to get out of the Australian cricket team than into it. Dave Warner's form for several years, especially outside of Australia, did not warrant selection. Super glad he's finally gone. Now, that's part of the... It is part of the rhetoric at the moment. It, it is definitely part of the conversation. I I just don't think any of the the arguments that can be made in that light ever go close to the magnitude of the actual achievements that have been on the field. The thing is, when you ask who should be the next opener, there's about five different answers. 
So did David Warner stay around too long? No. Yeah. Like if there's not a clear option uh, for the who should be the next opener, then how can you say that David Warner shouldn't still have been in the team? Well, we'll ask Damien Fleming about that and who he thinks, but who do you think? You've been covering cricket for a oh. long time now. Steve Smith's put his hand up in recent weeks. Yeah, I think Renshaw needs to be re-looked at or um, Cameron Bancroft. I mean, at this point, I don't think there's much more that Cameron Bancroft can really do. If he's not um, selected on his form now, I don't think Cameron Bancroft is ever getting back in the Australian side. Yeah. Well, as far as who's the most difficult to bowl to and get out in domestic cricket, I can speak from experience and say it's most definitely Cameron Bancroft. Right. I also don't bowl at Steve Smith. So, I like, I'm not having any of the current Australian team in the equation, but Cameron Bancroft and Marcus Harris, to be fair, Mm. uh, for a long time have just churned out run after run after run, not just here, but in county cricket as well. Mm. So it's, it's a good situation to be in. And then Cameron Green is the other one. No doubt that Australia want to find a spot in the team for him. Why is there a desperation to find a spot for Cameron Green? And I say that respectfully, I can see the potential, but why are we desperate to get, there's a lot of guys with potential. Where's the desperation for getting Cameron Green in? Well, I mean, the hunger for an all-rounder of that caliber is, you know, that that's where it stems from. But he's also, you know, you're talking about these guys that have been scoring runs in domestic cricket. There are very few batters in first-class cricket averaging 50. Mm-hmm. He averages 50. Forget the bowling for a minute. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the, the resume he's put up in domestic cricket, I think he's arguably in our best six batters in the absence of someone like David Warner. And particularly if you're looking at, so we mentioned Cameron Bancroft, he's over 30. Yeah. Marnus Labuschagne, the only player in the team under 30 at the moment. Yeah. Are we looking at the next generation or are we looking at just the here and now, pick someone like Uzi who's, you know, done amazingly yep. and can give us one to four years as opposed to maybe 10 to 15. I, I can see definitely where you're coming from there. I'm wondering though, is the opening spot, just because it is open at the moment, the best yeah. spot for him? Like to get in the side, do you want to put him in in a spot where maybe he doesn't perform, maybe he's not right for that spot and then yeah. it, it affects the trajectory of his career? Yeah, fair question. And I guess the, you know, the Usman Kawaja example is pertinent because he had only ever really, since he was a junior, batted in the middle order Mm, for New South Wales, then Queensland. And then just because Travis Head missed, he was the one that went in to bat at number five for the Boxing Day test when Travis Head had COVID, Mm -hmm. scored runs. Then he went to open when Travis Head came back and pushed Marcus Harris out of the team. So, Mm. I mean, it, it is... And it's been spoken about in recent times by Andrew McDonald, Pat Cummins, non-traditional opener is the term being used at the moment. And it's, it's actually quite common these days that the best batter with a very good foundation like Cameron Green has in terms of his technique is then picked, not necessarily just the best opener, Mm. uh, albeit test cricket is taxing and requires, uh, you know, longevity, temperament, all, all the rest. So Tell us what you think. Who should open the batting for Australia? Uh, Steve Smith has put his hand up in recent times, but we've just mentioned a few names. Uh, it's 0457 736 736 and the Suncorp open line. We'd love to hear what you actually think. Give us a call, 1300 01 1170. We, we heard the odds a little while ago on the Australian Open with Nick Ashman. 
The odds on the Demon to win the Aussie Open should be 200 to 1, was the text that just came in. That's harsh, given he's in the top 10. Yeah, that's pretty savage. Greenkeeping Rooster, morning Jaleesa and Trent, just on Dave Warner. He's been a very good test player, but as far as legend goes, I think that's a stretch. As a sporting public, I think we get dragged into recency bias too much and don't acknowledge players from past eras enough. I, I do have the similar issue with the word legend being thrown around in general. In all sports or you in mean? In everything. Yeah. In I must everything. say I'm a superlative guy. I'm superstar, really? a legend. Yeah. yeah. But just in conversation even, not yes. necessarily yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, a specific yeah. player. Yeah. It's uh, part, of the, uh, part of the reason is I feel like I've grown up listening to others talk about players like that. Yeah, so okay. it, it is a common problem. Yeah. It's one of those things. And, and we won't know where David Warner sits you know, in, in terms of his entirety of his career, because he's still going to play T20 formats around the world. And he said that he might still be available in the 50 over champions trophy. Uh, that I found very funny part of that press conference. It was almost <laughs> like, oh, and I'm retiring from one day and then I'm having mad regret, but I'll, but I'm available. Like, well, there's a, there's no hidden uh, agendas in there. It's then he doesn't have a national contract. He doesn't yeah. have to play bilateral series and be away from home. Yeah, he has the option of. Realistically, though, he'll be 39. If we haven't found another opener by that <laughs> point, true. we are in chaos. <laughs> we are too. That's right. Uh, we are here for Bryden's lawyers. Unable to work due to injury or illness? Contact Bryden's Lawyers. Summer Breakfast is powered by Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter. Shaping and building Australia together. 7.45am in Sydney, 6.45am in Brisbane. Uh, Jaleesa, it's been an interesting morning. Lots of news. We've been talking about Sam Kerr and the Olympics. We've been talking about... Well, that devastating ACL injury for Sam Kerr, but then also Rafael Nadal missing the Australian mm. Open. We've just recently been talking about who should open the batting for Australia uh, in the test team on the back of David Warner's retirement. And it's not just the test team. It's also the 50-over ODI team as well. So the the talk about Steve Smith, we're going to ask Damien Fleming out of 8 o'clock about this exact topic, but uh, a tech... A text has come in from Shooter. Hey, guys, where's Will Pekofsky in the equation? Uh, It's an interesting one because the concussions have really derailed what was, you know, a young guy that had scored enough runs, like I was talking about with Cameron Green, to get into the Australian team to open the batting with David Warner. And then it's somewhat derailed to the point where he's had to take some time away from the game. Mm. He's now back playing, but I think... You, I'm sure you're of the same opinion. He, he just needs to be able to play the game, enjoy it, yeah. and have a good run at just playing the game at domestic level first. Yeah, I agree. And I see that he's like he's doing a bit of commentary now and a yeah. few things that have set him up outside of cricket yeah. as well. But it's a it is a really sad, um, you know, what happened in to his career. Uh, and not to say that he can't come back for that, but I think you're right. It, he just needs a longer stint of consistency and, and to be well. Yeah, exactly right. We've got another text here from the Westy Eel. Morning, guys. Congrats, Warner, on a great career. I'm still picking Matt Short to open the batting. I think yeah. he can play like Warner with a high strike rate. 50 over cricket, I actually think he should be the man. I actually think he's the guy that can come into our team and provide another bowling option, but also just... I mean, anyone who's watched the BBL in recent years, I've watched him in domestic cricket for Victoria. This guy can seriously play. 
not, um, not someone I've heard mentioned, but I, I really like it. Um, I guess we've all been talking about the tests because we don't, it's a bit sad, but we don't care about 50 till the World Cup, do we? <laughs> but essentially you, you need to prepare before that. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess when I've been thinking about the opening position, I've only been thinking about test cricket. Well, I, I don't think he should be ruled out of that equation either. Probably not right now, but he is yeah, very yeah. much on the trajectory to playing international cricket in all formats. Yeah, right. And I think having now played in the IPL, dominated the BBL uh, and played around the world, I think he's very much in the frame to be in Australia's squad for the T20 World Cup this year in America and the Barbados leg of that as well. So I, I think... He's the guy that, yeah, rightly mentioned Westy Eel. I think he's very much in the frame with the high strike rate and just how he plays the game, uh, the way the game is going. So, someone said the fact that Steve Smith is agitating to be opener proves my point. It's harder to get out of the Australian team than into it. Get some less annoying new blood. Someone's not a fan <laughs> of Steve Smith. I found the fact that he put his hand up for that. Very intriguing though. Yeah. And I, we were talking about it off air and I asked you why, because I said to you, of, Steve Smith says the most disinteresting things and <laughs> the most interesting thing he said recently is, yeah, I'm happy to open. And I was just thinking, where on earth did that come from? Why? Why Trent Copeland does he want to open? Well, I mean, A, I think he's capable and, and B, I think it's a new challenge that he's never ticked off in his career. You know, which a, a career of which basically every achievement has been ticked off that you can possibly tick off. Yeah. So, I mean, just knowing Steve Smith, the guy away from cricket, I think these are the sort of things that drive him and motivate him. Mm. I mean, as little as last summer, he was talking about, oh, I'm not sure how long I'll play. Mm. <laughs> and he loves getting away from the game. Mm. But uh, I think that's the sort of thing that would really fascinate him on, am I, could I actually be as dominant? Mm. up there and uh, and I think an element of always wanting to just do what's best for the team so mm, making okay. it explicitly clear that mm. if asked I will absolutely jump at it and do yeah. it yeah yeah uh, I thought it was interesting that Usman Khawaja uh, when he was asked about Manus he pretty much laughed it off <laughs> and thought that he said have you asked Manus this and then laughed and said there's no way he'll want to do that yeah um so yeah two Similar players with two very different takes on yeah. uh, where they want to be in the side. I We were talking off air and, and both sort of said we don't like the idea of Steve Smith just because he is so valuable in that middle order. Yeah. Um, his form probably, you know, it's a funny thing with Steve Smith. Because we hold him to Steve Smith's standard, sometimes I yeah. think we, we're always like, oh, you know, his form's come off a bit. It's come off at Steve Smith's standard a bit. Yeah. No one else's. Yeah. Right? I'm not worried in the slightest. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people are just because he's not. A, both he and Marnus. Uh, Marnus probably a little less given that he scored a few runs in the Sydney test in both innings. But, yeah, just any time we don't see double hundred after yeah. hundred after hundred uh, for and a him summer. carrying the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, And all the talk has been about Mitch Marsh, Travis Head, including the World Cup. So mm. maybe it is a bit of a changing of the guard, but I'm certainly not worried that Steve Smith's not at the level. Mm. Uh, there's one here from, uh, the Brisbane Eel. Listen to this morning, JA and TC Vossie spotted in the nets at the SCG auditioning for the opening spot. Only sticking point 
my mail is that he wants to open only with Brandy and not Uzi, so unlikely to be picked. <laughs> Very I'd good. like to see that. I would actually like to see Vossi in the nets. Maybe we can make that happen. Maybe we can get you to bowl to Vossi. Happy to. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely happy to. Uh, Brandy too. Line them up. <laughs> Facing my 105k an hour medium paces. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they'll have any troubles. Uh, time now for a break.